And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Ali M, who writes, Should a woman ever play Bond? I know the topic came up when uh, it got out that Lashana Lynch was going to be the new 007 agent, not Bond. Anyway, Daniel Craig was just quoted as saying he doesn't think a woman should play Bond, but that better roles for women should be created in Hollywood. What do you think? Should a woman play Bond at some point just to mix it up? Many thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Ali, and I appreciate that. And yeah, this is a conversation that comes up an awful lot, actually, right? Because a lot of times when a a movie, a reboot, a sequel, either like, say, gender swaps a character or they switch it up where they'll have a different race, like maybe you had a a white character that's not being played by an Asian actor or a black actor, whatever. This is a question that comes up often. And what I have often said to it, and what my attitude towards it is this, is that if the either gender or race of the character in question is not absolutely core and fundamental to who and what that character is, then go ahead and and swap it out. I don't care. It could actually become pretty interesting if you swap it out and change it up a little bit. Now, obviously, then there are some characters to hear to whether their ethnicity or their gender is absolutely core to who and what that character is. A good example of that is, is Black Panther, right? It's absolutely essential, especially when you go back and listen to and read to why Stan Lee said he created the character in the first place. The ethnicity of Black Panther is an absolute core essential element to who and what that character is. But with a lot of other characters, I would say, Rob, the majority of other characters, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter most of the time. And so go ahead and switch it up and and swap it out if you want. Now, with No Time to Die coming out, and the news came out, as they said in in their question, Lashana Lynch's character is going to be the new 007. She's not James Bond. It's just that James Bond is retired and her, she's got the employee number. Employee number 007, that's now Lashana Lynch's character. But it did bring up a conversation that's been brought up a lot over the years. Is could they ever replace uh, James Bond with a female character? And say, like, in the next iteration of James Bond movies, could James Bond actually be Jane Bond? Could it be a female character? Now, this kind of came up and... Daniel Craig had something interesting to say about it. This is what Daniel Craig had to say. He said, the answer to that is very simple, Craig told Radio Times. There should simply be better parts for women and actors of color. Why should a woman play James Bond when there should be a part just as good as James Bond, but for a woman? He's a male character. He was written as a male, and I think he'll probably stay as a male. Uh, Broccoli said, she's obviously one of the producers and kind of the owners of the rights of Bond. I previously told The Guardian, and that's fine. Rob, this is an issue that has come up a a number of times. And I've already kind of stated that, like, hey, listen, if either the gender or the ethnicity of the character is not a core essential element to who and what that character is, for example, Superman, who is not white. Superman is an alien organism who just happens to have the appearance of a white guy. Do I believe Superman being white is a core essential fundamental issue to who and what makes Superman who he is. I simply do not. It's not. And I've not heard a single valid argument to pretend that he is. But I agree with Daniel Craig here. I think when you look at James Bond and you look at the DNA of this character, he is quintessentially male. Like the way his character is, everything about his personality 
um, both the good parts of his personality and the questionable parts of his personality. They are all fundamentally hinge on the fact that he is a dude. And so while I am very open-minded about the idea of, hey, yeah, you want to switch things up, make an Asian character, a black character, a white character, a black character, a black character, you know, whatever you want to make this, you, hey, Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica, you want to make Starbuck a, a girl? That's fine. I'm always very open-minded about that. But I personally believe that the James Bond situation, Rob, is one of those situations where the, the, the gender of the character, I don't think the ethnicity matters to James Bond. I think you can have a black James Bond easy, but the, 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 the gender of Bond is so entrenched in our understanding of who and what makes him who he is. I'd say he's got to stay male. That's my take on it. Rob, what do you think? Well, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's, we, we really live in a weird time now where this idea that characters somehow by gender swapping them or even race swapping characters that you're somehow giving people better representation. And I don't necessarily think that that's true. I think what Daniel Craig said is absolutely correct. We need more new characters that are people of color and, and women. And they need their own original characters that can trailblaze the same way that James Bond was a trailblazing character. And, you know, I also don't think it really like I, I agree with you, unless somebody's unless their ethnicity or their gender is baked into the character for some how, however that's done, you can make those changes. But I'll give you an example. If you change the ethnicity of James Bond to black, we know that the experience, especially of being black in America, but there's a different experience of being black in America to being white in America. Or I would assume I didn't grow up in the UK, but maybe in the UK it's different. But that experience of the world then must somehow be incorporated into the James Bond character. So what does it mean? How would a black James Bond be different from a white James Bond somehow? And if there is no difference, then I think that the gender and race swapping is pandering. But if you incorporate how a James Bond who was black, his background would be different. I think that could be interesting. And I think so if you if you race or gender swap a character, I would like to see how those changes affect the character itself. I mean, I think it would be kind of interesting. Like if you have, what is the experience of a woman being a double O? You know, a license to kill. Does a woman have a different experience having a license to kill than a man? And if so, what is that difference and how does that affect the character? To me, that can make something a story that can be really interesting or, or you know, uh, a black James Bond who might having to be working for the crown. And the crown, of course, has a long history of colonialism. How does a black James Bond feel about king and country or queen and country, knowing what uh, Britain's history is? I think all of those things can make for good storytelling. But the real question is, wouldn't female characters and, and, and ethnically diverse characters want their own? Why get a hand-me-down character that's already existed? Why not create somebody new that's exciting that audiences can embrace from the beginning? I see. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because to me, like you said, if you change the ethnicity of the character and it really doesn't fundamentally change anything about the character – 
then you say there's a negative connotation on that and just saying that's pandering. To me, it's the opposite. To me, is it's if you can't make a solid argument about why this character must be white or must be black or must be female or must be male, then to impede on some creative exploration of the character, I think the onus is on the person saying you can't change it. The onus isn't on the person wanting to make the change. I think unless you can make a strong, valid argument about why you can't change something, then the onus is on you. I, I don't see that as pandering. I just see that as creative exploration. You know I, 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 I want to be I want to be clear. I, I think though that by doing that, by making the change, you are adding something to that character that didn't previously exist. Right. But can, can't you say that every new James Bond, even though they've all been white males, can you say that every new James Bond has brought something a little unique to Bond? Like Connery's Bond is different from Roger Moore's Bond, which is different sure. from Bros's Bond. So, you know, if, if Idris Elba, we know Idris Elba isn't going to be the new James Bond, but I'm just saying, theoretically speaking, if Idris Elba came in and did just what the other actors had done bring their his own flavor his own uniqueness to the role like isn't that in and of itself you know something creatively worth exploring i I think it absolutely could be which is why i think the fact that if you had a black james bond how would he respond to britain's legacy of colonialism would he like would he would a black james bond have the same devotion to king and country or maybe that devotion is different i just see it as a way to make the storytelling more in depth and more interesting and more more fascinating i think by just swapping the race of a character and not dealing with how a person of a different race has a different experience in the world is not exactly living up to what you could be doing if you make that kind of a change so let me see if i if i'm understanding you correctly you're saying it's like okay if you're going to make a change like that mm. Like, I, I, you know, we brought up the the example of Starbuck earlier, and I think what you're saying applies to that absolutely directly. Like, so what yep. you're saying is if you're going to make a change, either gender-wise, ethnicity-wise, whatever, just make sure that's reflected a little bit in the character itself. Make sure that that, that change, we see a creative expression of that change in the character itself. Is that what you're saying? Abs- absolutely, 100%, because that gives you more creative there, it, it gives you a new dimension of storytelling for that character, which makes the female version or the black version of that character unique and I think more interesting. I mean, I mean not necessarily more interesting than the original, but it gives you storytelling um, avenues that, that you didn't previously have. Right. And, and we certainly got that with Starbuck and Battlestar Galactica. A- absolutely, 100%. And it made that character uniquely Katie Sackhoff's. I mean, when yeah. people think of that character, it's, it's uniquely hers. Look, I would not have had a problem. I've been rewatching The Wire. You know, Idris Elba's a little too, I think, old to play a James Bond. But if you made him James Bond, Stringer 20 Bell years is ago, James Bond, man. I, I, I mean, that guy. That I mean, no one holds a frame like that guy does. I yeah. mean, his look, his face, a glance. When you first meet him in the first episode of The Wire, sitting in that courtroom, you can't take your eyes off that guy. And that's what you need with James Bond. I keep forgetting you never saw him in the office either, did you? You never saw Idris no. Elba in the office. He's so good in the office with that voice. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about Daniel Craig's comments? I think Rob and I actually both kind of agree with them, maybe for slightly different reasons, but we both agree with what he's saying. What do you guys think about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. 
Uh, by the way, I, I'm just going to point out too that we uh, more super chat badges are coming while we're doing the show. Dino Vader uh, sent in a super chat badge a little bit earlier. There was another one too, but I missed it. It's gone off the screen. Sorry about that, guys. But thank you guys for sending in those super chat badges. Appreciate that. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Randall McGovern. And Randall McGovern writes, Hey, John and Rob, I know you didn't love F9. That's a bit of an understatement. Uh, But I really enjoyed it, and I have pretty much loved all the Fast movies. I read an interview with Justin Lin today, and he said that the last chapter of the Fast Night, Fast and Furious franchise was going to be broken into two films, so there is going to be a Fast 10 and 11. What did you think of his comments, and are you looking forward to them despite not liking 9? Thanks. Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in, Randall. And yeah, listen, just for context here, I really do enjoy the Fast and the Furious movies. I I wasn't a big fan of 1, 2, or 3, but once 4 came around, I started to get on board, and they kind of started changing the DNA of the franchise around 4, which led into 5, which is pretty much universally loved. I like 6 even more than 5, but there's there's some debate there. I thought 7 was really entertaining. I thought 8 was entertaining, even, even though you started to see a little bit of decline. But yeah, I really hated 9. I thought 9 was just terrible, but whatever. I'm still a fan of the franchise. So Justin Lin was talking about uh, the fact that they're going to be doing this final chapter is going to be broken into two stories. Uh, Just for context, here's what Justin Lin had to say. He said, the idea of the last chapter being two films is correct. I have to say I'm so glad because I think when I first entered this franchise, a sequel was not a given. You had to earn it, you know? And so to be sitting here talking with you and go, oh yeah, there's going to be two more movies. I'm like, wow, it means a lot. So every day when I wake up, I'm trying to reconfigure and make sense and make sure, hopefully, whatever we're talking about process-wise is going to yield the best result. But I think having one chapter in two movies is correct. That's where I sit today. All right. So let's say, let me, let me say this first. I really like Justin Lin a lot. I think talking about Fast and the Furious in terms of chapters and there is ridiculous. Uh, there's there's no rhyme or reason to the narratives of Fast and the Furious. Like all, once they rent from a you know a bunch of grease monkeys fixing cars and doing some straight racing to we are the elite international secret spy organization that has government airplanes provided. We save the world. It's like come on, you got no. There's no story here anymore. There's no story. It's just fun nonsense, and it's and it works on that level. And I really appreciate it for what it kind of became. You know, especially what do you call Fast Five, Rob? The Citizen Kane of the Fast Citizen Fierce? Kane of the Fast Five franchise. There you go. And it just became this fun DNA sort of thing. And in Fast Nine, they went a little bit too ridiculous. But look, they want uh they want parts of 10 and 11. And, and we've known that for a bit. But I, I don't care how they say, yes, we're taking this intricate, character-driven, multiple narrative thread chapter of the Fast Saga. And we're breaking it into two. I'm like a all right, okay, so that's some good marketing speaking. Look, even though I didn't like Fast 9, Rob, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm looking forward to Fast 10 and Fast 11. I'm Listen, yeah, I didn't like 9. Okay, I liked the previous five in a row before that. I'll consider, I'm just going to consider 9 a bump in the road, and I'll look forward to 10. You heard Justin Lin's comments here. What do you make of them? Well, I think, look, making the last two movies together makes sense. You know, yeah. I thought they should do that. It was just like I thought they should have made Dune. But, uh, but you know, like you just said, I love the James Bond franchise and I'll give you an example. Like I hated view to a kill when it came out. 
that doesn't mean I wasn't going to go in to see Living Daylights with my expectations high. And I really like Living Daylights. New James Bond going to Afghanistan, horseback, rocket-propelled grenades. I mean, it was awesome. What's not to love? So that doesn't mean that, like you said, just because Fast 9 might have been a, a bump the road, I think the fat, Fast 10 parts 1 and 2 could be awesome. So there's no reason for me to think that a franchise that's now 10 films deep, if you include Hobbs and Shaw, that if one of them isn't something that was my favorite or that I actively hated, it doesn't mean I'm not going to look forward to Fast 10 parts 1 and 2. <laughs> Come on, bring it on. Question is for you guys. What do you think of Justin Lin's comments here that the, you know, the final two movies are going to be part of one epic in-depth narrative story. Uh, whatever to me. I'm still looking forward to Fast 10. I don't know about you guys. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. And by the way, our friend Savage McFilthy sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Savage. Appreciate that, man. Okay. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by... Eric Thomas, who writes, the sci-fi epic Dune opened this week across lots of countries in Europe, not all of them, but yeah, a bunch of them. And I've been one of the fortunate people who have seen it twice already. Overall, Dune boasted a very strong debut on its opening weekend, outperforming projections and in many territories setting pandemic bests. I was one of the people that doubted Dune's box office success beforehand, but... Now that it's doing so well across Europe and is one of the few movies that has a Chinese release locked and loaded, do you think Dune can be a genuine box office sensation? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. Now, look, of course, Dune is, I know it's right up there for Rob as well. For, and for me, it is the number one most anticipated movie for me. There, there's no other movie coming out right now that I am more excited about to see than Dune. You have one of the greatest directors in the world. You have a phenomenal cast based on one of the most celebrated sci-fi, high-concept sci-fi stories, uh, maybe ever of all time in Dune. They haven't had a great track record of making screen adaptations for it up until now, but still, very excited about it. It's released in Europe. Of course, part of that strategy is to get fans in other parts of the world buzzing about it online, so hopefully that will parlay into a big box office success and whatever in North America. And it has exceeded expectations so far. It has succeeded the it has exceeded the projections that they've had for what the box office is going to be in these international territories, and they've done better than they thought it would. So the question: Can this actually do much better than we thought it will? It could, but Rob, I'm sticking with it. Will probably not. No, I I, I don't think it will. Because there's one big key fundamental difference and thing you have to consider when looking at, look how well it's doing overseas. Will it do way better domestically as well, just like it's doing overseas? There's one big difference, Rob. In most of these territories, if not all of these territories, there's no such thing as HBO Max. And so if you want to see Dune in a lot of these territories, you have one option. Go to the movie theater to watch it. That should be the way it's in North America as well. But of course, Warner Brothers has backstabbed this movie and they've cut it off at the knees and they've double crossed it and betrayed it. And when it opens in North America, it will not have that advantage. It will be out on HBO Max day and date. 
of course, because a couple of high-ranking officials in WB thought they could get more clout in the company and more bonus money if they could make HBO Max grow. So as much as I am looking forward to this movie, and I think it is my number one most anticipated film, and I think it's going to be best film of the year. Ask me again after I see it. Who knows? But for now, I think it's going to be the best film of the year, my number one most anticipated. But will it enjoy that success domestically that it's had in Europe? I don't think so. I, I just think it's fundamentally been positioned that it can't. And Rob, then on top of all that, you know, this higher concept sci-fi stuff doesn't garner as big of an audience as more the the popcorn fun kind of stuff. So I don't know that it would have been a huge major blockbuster. I still think best film of the year, but it probably wouldn't have been a massive blockbuster hit even without the HBO Max stuff. But with HBO Max playing in North America, something that is not one of the factors overseas, it hates, I hate saying it, but no, I do not think Dune can match that excessive success that it's enjoying overseas right now. I don't know, Rob, you take a look at it. What's your perspective? Unfortunately, I've got to agree with you in terms of, I, I would love to see this movie be a huge box office hit. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of the great sci-fi novels of all time and it's truly visionary, even though a lot of it will be familiar to people. If you if you've never heard of Dune or have read Dune or seen the earlier iterations of Dune, and you're coming to it for the first time, you might recognize a lot of other things in Dune because Dune's been hugely influential. And of course, everybody who's seen it in Europe and the the response, I think. Look, I like to call it awe and wonder, and I I think that there are movies that just have awe and wonder in them. I'll give you an example. When, when the bikes take off in ET and they cross the moon, yeah, you know, that low, that was, that was a moment of awe and wonder. And those are the kind of movie moments that I, I love. And it seems to me that Dune is filled with a lot of that. And if you're a movie goer open to that kind of thing, and you see this movie in IMAX and it's huge and thunderous sound. And everyone said how big this movie actually is, how, how, the machines dwarf the human beings and it just truly feels like they went to an alien world and shot the movie. If you're into that, I think you'll like the film. And from what I've read, people are really responding to that a lot because we don't have much of that in the movies anymore. You know, I mean, true. We have a lot of spectacle, but moments of awe and wonder have been few and far between, I think. And, um, but I just don't think that most people like that. You know, they prefer something a little bit different, Um, but we'll see. But like you said, I just don't think that this is the kind of blockbuster material. I think it's the kind of material people talk about like 2001, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years in the future. Seen it. I can only go by what I've read. And dude, I can't wait to see this movie. I can't wait. And I think it's going to be great. And one for the ages. Yeah, I, I'm I'm dying to see this thing. But like you said, it, it's kind of a two pronged thing, right? Like in the in the question of can it exceed the expectations of North America? Well, uh, number one, even without the HBO Max thing, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle because higher concept sci fi. It's 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 being marketed as such as well. So, but even if it could overcome that then it's the HBO thing when people, there's going to be a certain segment of people that aren't true cinephile fans and they're just going to want to sit at home. I mean, there's going to be some people that it's just not possible for them to get out of the house and get to a movie theater. Maybe the movie theater they go to is like 30 miles away or whatever. And and that's understandable too. But with those two factors back to back, I just can't see it having the same kind of success in North America that's having overseas. I hope I'm wrong. I really do hope I'm wrong. Cause like Rob, I'm desperately, desperately excited to see this movie. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. 
What do you think about this? Dune is doing better than expectations overseas. Can it bring that sort of success to the North American shores as well? I unfortunately have my doubts about that. What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Now, with that down, guys, we're going to move into our live comments and questions that you guys are sending in. But Rob has got to jump out a little bit early today. He's got some Tango Shalom business to attend to. Rob, yes. again, congrats on all the success of Tango Shalom. People do get out and see it when you have a chance. But Rob, in the meantime, where can people follow you and all your goodness online? Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram under Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob, thanks for being here. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, man. Have a good one. I'll see you, sir. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And he'll, of course, be back again tomorrow. And by the way, just a shout out to Kevin Cow, who sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that, man. All right, guys, with that down, let's get on over and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? Once again, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show or on an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video. You can just click it there or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Again, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And everybody like me and Ray and Aaron and Rob and all of us involved here at the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, let's get on over to it, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Dangerous D, who writes, Hey, John, uh, Doom Patrol is one of my favorite shows, mine too, but I noticed that H, uh, Warner Brothers and HBO Max hasn't advertised this show uh, other than a trailer. There is no interviews. I don't know what Mo ads are on TV when the boys, Amazon had ads, interviews from cast promotions, etc. Why is Doom Patrol not heavily advertised? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've seen a few spots for it, but I haven't seen it heavily advertised yet. Maybe they're, you know, they've got a campaign strategy for it that just hasn't kicked in yet. But at this point, I just don't know. Because, uh, and it is, because I agree with you, man. It is one of my favorite shows as well. Uh, and by the way, uh, Sneaker Bros uh, sends in a big a $20 super chat badge in the live chat saying, You are amazing. Thank you, Sneaker Bros. Appreciate that, man. All right, let's keep going here. Next up, we got Alpha Kevin. Right, it's one of two. Guten Tag, John and Rob. Just missed Rob. Uh, I just saw Dune and I liked it a lot. I love the books and really appreciated how close the movies stay to the source material. It's probably as good as an adaptation as you can get. If the movie makes its money, what do you think are WB's plans for the series? I'd love to see a trilogy, Dune Part 1, Part 2, and Messiah, but can't see them trying to, to adapt the latter. Weirder books like God Emperor... Theater was packed, so fingers crossed for good box office. The money must flow. The spice must flow. And yes, Alpha Kevin, the money must flow as well. Um, well, look, obviously the plan right now is to get the two done. But clearly Warner Brothers, at least the film division of Warner Brothers, who were backstabbed by another division at Warner Brothers, but the film division at Warner Brothers, uh, their plan is to turn this into a very serious ongoing franchise. Because while they want to get the second film done to complete the first one, they also have that series they're they're getting due, The Sisterhood of the Benny Jesuit. So they're trying to get that up and running as well. And they, they are moving on that. There is motion being on, on that right now. So clearly their thoughts was to turn this thing into a big, big, you know, platform-spanning franchise. Whether it can get there or not, we don't know. And I agree with you. And Rob and I have talked about this on the show before. As the Dune books progress, they do get a little odder as they go. So my guess is, and it's just a guess, my guess is that 
if they can keep this thing going, and that's a big if right now, that you will see them take more and more creative liberties once you get out of the core Dune book. Once they get past the, do, the core Dune book, I think you'll see them take more liberties to make it a better presentation for the screen medium because the printed page is different from the screen. And so I think you'll see them take more liberty with it. Let's hope and keep our fingers crossed, Alpha, that we actually get to that point. Okay, next up, uh, check the mystery rights. Hey, John, one of three. My most anticipated movie yet to release in 2021 is The Many Saints of Newark. As The Sopranos is my top five favorite TV show of all time. My most anticipated movie prior to this was The Suicide Squad. So here are my concerns, followed by a question. Like Suicide Squad, Saints will have HBO to contend with. But as you have pointed out, one of the other things that hurt Squad was the baggage it brought with it from the first disliked movie. However, Many Saints of Newark brings the baggage of a beloved TV series. Unfortunately, Saints now has to compete with Venom on the weekend of October 1st, and I fear that Saints will be the film hurt most by HBO because people watch the show there and will feel they can do it again with all that in. With all that in mind, how will Saints perform at the box office on opening weekend, and do you think that there is still a hunger for Sopranos content today, even though we can never get a proper sequel to the show without James Gandolfini? Thanks. Well, I mean, first things first, Chuck, um, even if James Gandolfini was alive, I mean, spoiler alert for a 20 year old show, uh, Tony Soprano dies at the end of the series, so they couldn't do a proper sequel to it anyway. Now I was just checking this out before we started, but let me bring this up again. The re first reviews for many saints of Newark are, are coming out right now. And as of right this moment, as of this moment, many saints of Newark has 28 reviews, so it still has another like 200 reviews to come. And it's got a 79% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's pretty good, bordering on the 80%. It's basically at 80%, which is pretty damn solid. That's good. Now, how do I think it will do? You're right on two different, um, on two different fronts there. Number one, it's got to contend with the fact that it's on HBO Max. That is clearly going to hurt its box office. But it's also a really, really good observation pointing out the fact that on top of that, people are accustomed to watching Sopranos on HBO. That's where they watch Sopranos anyway. And now Sopranos is back in the form of Many Saints of Newark. So that's only going to compound their problem. Now, I'm not worried about Venom and Venom's effect on the movie because while there will be some crossover, you're basically going after a couple of different demographics. So I, I don't, I'm not really, if I'm really looking forward to, and I'm a producer of Many Saints of Newark, I'm not terribly worried about Venom. That's going to make its money, whatever money it's going to make, but it's going to primarily get a kind of different audience than what many Saints of Newark did. But you're right. The big problem is that the fact that it's day and date on HBO and that this was a, a franchise that people are accustomed to watching on HBO in the first place. So yeah, man, I, I really do think it's going to get hit hard. I'm not quite, I'm not confident in how well it can do. I'm not confident in how well it can do. Hopefully we're wrong. Fingers crossed, but I'm dying to see this movie, man. Thanks for writing that in Chuck. Next up. Uh, Jonathan writes, hey, John, you, sir, are an interesting man. Well, thank you. Uh, in an age where people will listen to things they want to hear and your conviction of speaking your mind, even if it's unpopular, technically you shouldn't even still be here. Yet, here you are. 
I respect that. Uh, you've survived in this platform despite going against the grain. I see you as a realist, but but what balances you out is Rob, who I think is more of a hopeless romantic. No offense, it's a compliment. Whenever you say something radically different from my opinion, I want to scream, John, get with the program. But I step back and think, well, this is just his opinion, man, and it doesn't lessen mine. My question is, uh, to what do you owe your success despite you speaking your mind also uh, and be honest, also and be honest, do you sometimes in the back of your mind fear losing subscribers based on what you might say, whether popular or unpopular? Thank you for all the great hours, the great hours, by the way, and stay filthy, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. I appreciate that, man. Um, look, my philosophy, because you guys know on my show, I will say many things that are in concert with what the popular opinion is. People really liked Endgame. Guess what? I really liked Endgame. But I will also often say unpopular things. People worship the original Halloween. I don't like the original Halloween. I know that's the unpopular thing to say, but there you have it. I know the popular thing to say is that the Hawkeye trailer was great, but you're all in denial. Come to Jesus and see the truth. The Hawkeye trailer is terrible. But it's all subjective, and if you like the Hawkeye trailer, that's that's perfectly fine. But I do not. But I know the popular thing to say is the Hawkeye trailer is awesome. And I know that if I say the Hawkeye trailer is awesome, it'll make my viewers happy. Well, the, here's the problem. And this is, this is something that's real. Do I ever worry about that something I say will make me lose subscribers? Fuck no. No, no, no. Because I'll be, I'll be very, very blunt with you. If somebody doesn't want to engage and watch my show because I said something they don't agree with on one of the 50 topics we talked about in a day, then quite frankly, I don't want them as one of my viewers. I want viewers and I want to build a community where we can disagree and have differences of opinion and we celebrate that and we're all still fans together anyway. Ever, y'all like the original Blade Runner? I don't. That's okay. And we hear out each other easy. Because remember, one of the things that I always say in the show is, my job as a pundit is not to say what you agree with. And it is also not my job as a pundit to convince you to agree with me. My job as a pundit is to give you my perspective on an issue and hopefully give it and deliver my perspective in such a way that it helps you to sharpen your own perspective, even if it's completely different from mine. So if I lay out why I really didn't like the Hawkeye trailer, I, I don't know why we're beating up on the Hawkeye trailer, but just as an example, if I lay out my reasons for why I did not like the Hawkeye trailer, and me expressing that helps you sharpen your own perspective about why you did like it, then to me, that's me doing my job. That's me doing my job. Now, look, yes, I know. Like, one of the reasons why I tell people and they say, you know, oh, my God, like, uh, when are you going to get to a million subscribers? I say, look, I'm never going to have a million subscribers because I'm not going to do the things I know I would need to do on this type of a show to get to a million subscribers. I'm not going to become a hate click kind of thing. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to start doing trailer reactions, uh, nothing against trailer reactions. They're just clearly not me. I mean, that's all I, I'm just, I'm not clearly built to do trailer reactions, but you know, trailer reactions get tons of clicks. 
I could get into feeding what my audience wants to hear. I could become an, a Fox News or an MSNBC. You know, both Fox News and MSNBC are just places that, that just purposely just spew out what they know their audience wants to hear. And that can make you very popular. If you just keep spewing out what your audience wants to hear, that can make you popular. But it's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in being part of a community where we say what we actually think respectfully to each other. And if we like the same thing, great. If we have disagreements over things, great. But yeah, I look, I've always said this. Everybody's going to be talking about this Daniel Craig story, right? So that's not unique. The only unique thing I bring to my YouTube channel, and really for any of you who want to do YouTube, the only unique thing you bring to your YouTube channel is your perspective. That's all I've got is my perspective and my ability to communicate my perspective. The only thing I have to offer my audience is my honest opinion. That's all I've got to offer. And if I start giving anything other than my honest opinion, then honestly, there's no reason for my audience to be here. And yes, that even means if my honest opinion is contrary to the popular belief. Everybody loves the Hawkeye trailer. Well, I'm not going to come on here and say, oh yeah, I love it too. I didn't. I didn't like the Hawkeye trailer. So I'm just going to tell you. Everybody likes Clone Wars. So if I came out and said, oh yeah, yay, I love Clone Wars too. That would be disingenuous and I'd be lying. I don't like Clone Wars. Right? And that's because the moment I stop giving my honest opinion, popular or not, I lose my reason for being here. And so that's all I got. So that's why I can totally live. Honestly, the only thing that ever bothers me, the only criticism that I get that ever bothers me is when people like fucking morons suggest I'm not actually giving my honest opinion. Like, I don't mind when they criticize. I don't mind getting criticism for my opinion and positions that I hold and beliefs that I have. I don't mind that. That's perfectly fair. That's perfectly fair. What actually bothers me is when somebody tries to suggest that I'm not saying what I actually think. That bothers me because you little fucker, yes, I am. I'm actually saying what I think. You may not like what I think, but I'm always going to say what I think. And it's uh, it's all I have. So, Anyway, I appreciate that. But no, Jonathan, no. When you're asking, be honest, do you ever sometimes worry that what you say you're going to lose subscribers? Never. Because if somebody's going to leave my channel just because they don't agree, because I dare to say something they didn't agree with, then honestly, I don't want them as viewers. It's quite simple. I don't want them as viewers. I really don't. That's not the type of community I want to have. So there you go. By the way, Nate sends in a super chat badge in the live chat there. Thank you, Nate. Appreciate that, man, very much. All right. Let's keep going on here now. Uh, Next up, we've got uh, Marie who writes, "Uh, I love your show. Thank you so much, Marie. Uh, Thanks for the great work you do. My question is about Dune. With the film Strong box office debut in Europe, Russia, and Hong Kong, do you think Warner Brothers regrets their decision to release it simultaneously on HBO Max? Can they do something about it now? No, like one of the big problems with the whole HBO Max situation, as Rob has pointed out in the past, is that you had a couple of people in key positions of decision-making power who believed they could personally benefit if HBO Max could be made to grow much bigger than it has. And so they backstabbed the film division, and there you go. Are there people, listen, I know for a fact, because I've talked to people, I know for a fact there are a number of people in high-floor offices at 
Warner Brothers and AT&T and stuff like that, that hate the HBO Max situation. They hate it. But they're not the right people. So there are some people over there at HBO that really do regret and hate what's going on. They, they really, there really are, but it's not the right people. Not yet, but don't worry pretty soon. Warner brothers is going to be owned by discovery. The guys at discovery know how to run a media company and hopefully things will get better. All right. Thanks for that, Marie. Next up, Willow writes, have you tried calling up your old Zodiac crew and asking them to do you a favor and, and do some break dancing in your after dark videos, instant 1 million viewers guaranteed. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen. That will not ever happen. I'm still working on trying to get some go-go dancers for the After Dark show. It's difficult. It's a lot more difficult to find than I thought. But no, I will not be calling up Willow, the old Zodiac crew. Of course, my name being Pisces in that. But no, I will uh, not be doing that. Not at all. (laughs) All right. Next up, Leo Milmet writes, I lived in Palm Springs for 10 years, but just relocated to go to college elsewhere. Rob, why couldn't Tango Shalom have been released eight months ago? Just kidding. But I have been telling all my friends to go see it since I can't. Uh, I plan to see it ASAP. And of course, one of the places is playing in, it's playing in several cities in Canada, it's playing in Los Angeles, playing in New York, and it was playing in Palm Springs. Uh, oh my God. I, Ooh, Palm Springs is hot. I was out there just recently. It's really, really hot out there. But um, thank you for the support of the movie, Leo, and keep encouraging people to see it. And hopefully you're going to be able to see it wherever you live here pretty darn soon. All right, Leo also writes, buy one, rent one, lose one. It's a tough one for you, but no pressure. Not going to hold you to this. Dark Knight, Man of Steel, Logan. Well, I got to go more with my heart on this because listen, the Dark Knight and Logan are two films that are in my top three all-time best comic book movies of all time, okay? As much and as passionate as I am about Man of Steel, Man of Steel is not, to me, in the top three all-time greatest comic book movies. I think it's the most underrated comic book movie of all time. I I think it's a top 10. I absolutely adore it. So, but I'm going to have to go with my heart. So I will buy Man of Steel. I will rent Logan I will sell the Dark Knight. I mean, but uh, I mean, there's no right answer for sell on this. There's no right answer. So uh, going with my heart, buy Man of Steel, rent Logan, sell the Dark Knight, even though it would really pay me to sell the Dark Knight. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Leo Memmott again, buy one, rent one, lose one movies about movie making edition. The player, Ed Wood, the artist, pretty simple. I would buy the player. The player is a super under, underappreciated film. I love that movie. I think it's great. Uh, I would buy the player. I would rent the artist. I would sell L Wood. So that one's is a lot simpler than the last one. All right. Ahmed Ismail writes, Johnny boy. I got my tickets to see Venom in the Chinese theater. Nice. A quick thank you to you and Aaron for helping me with that. Keep up the great job. And thank you so much for entertaining us and answering all our thoughts and questions. I remember you wrote that in, Ahmed, because you were saying you're coming into LA right on the same weekend that uh, Venom was opening. Venom 2 was opening. And you want to know where to see it. And both Aaron and I were got to go to the Chinese theater. It's the most famous movie theater in the world. It's got the most history of any movie theater in the world. It's a magic experience going to the movies, to a true temple of the movies, which is the Chinese theater. So I hope you have a great time while you're visiting there, man. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Ben Rayner who writes, Hey, John, hope you had a great weekend. I did have a great weekend. Thank you very much. About WandaVision losing the Emmys. I think we all know who was in the Academy. It was, of course, Mephisto and all of his variants. Just whole board of Mephistos. Again, hope you had a good weekend. Thanks for the shows. Bring on the filthy. Yeah, listen, and I saw a lot of people 
because of in the Twitter circles that that I I inhabit, I saw a lot of people very upset that WandaVision or Mandalorian didn't win best drama series. Listen, as a massive fan of of uh, of WandaVision and as a massive fan of Mandalorian, in my opinion, the right show won. The Crown is a superior piece of art. It's it's just phenomenal. And, you know, I was pointing out to a bunch of friends of mine who were arguing, you know, on a bunch of my Twitter friends who were arguing that, ah, oh, it should have been WandaVision or it should have been Mandalorian. I'm like, dude, you never even watched The Crown. So you cannot say it should have been Mandalorian or it should have been this when you haven't even watched The Crown. And I'm telling you, I know The Crown is not designed for a lot of us who are into the, the types of movies we're into, but I'm telling you, The Crown is just like a next level of of storytelling, of, of on-screen storytelling. It's fantastic. And as much as I love Mandalorian, as much as I love WandaVision, I got to tell you, I thought the right show won. I really do. I thought the right show won, but that's just my opinion, whatever. Uh, by the way, our friend My Comic Planet sends in a super chat badge in the live chat as well. Thank you, man. I appreciate that very much. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, we got Wu-Tang Dynasty who writes, John and Rob, just Miss Rob, did you guys see the Emmys? I didn't watch them. I read all the results, but I didn't watch them. I was both writing and watching football. Uh, don't usually watch, but they got it right two years in a row. Last year with Shit's Creek and this year with Ted Lasso and The Queen's Gambit. So happy for The Queen's Gambit as it was easily the best show of 2020. I don't think it was the best show of 2020, but it was really effing good. And I have no problems with uh, it winning when it did. Uh, but no, I didn't watch the uh, ceremony itself. I was watching football and writing show notes. Anyway, Wu-Tang Wu Dynasty also writes, did you guys see Kate on Netflix? I did watch Kate. I was skeptical, but after positive word of mouth, I decided to check it out and holy shit, the action is insane. The fighting is the closest thing I've seen to the raid. Eh, I don't know about that. Uh, it even top Shang-Chi. Oh, I definitely disagree with that. And, and, and nobody choreography. I disagree with that too. I think nobody's fight choreography was better. I liked Kate. I did. It's one of the rare Netflix original movies that isn't com a complete pile of dung. Um, it's actually pretty good. I liked it. But there was also a lot of stuff in the fight choreography that looked really weak. It's like there are times where you can tell, like when you're watching Shang-Chi, right? The speed and the accuracy and the fluidity and the smoothness of all the action that was going on, particularly from Simu Lu, was just overwhelmingly beautiful and breathtaking. Kind of like those same elements that you got in the raid. Like one of the things that made raid so great, and the visceralness of raid was better than Shang-Chi, but a lot of things about the raid is that the movements were so fluid and fast. It was the speed. It was the accuracy. It was the smoothness. It was just me. With Kate... I, I, I found a lot of it to be very awkward. I, and I like the movie. I do. I And I, I'm a big fan of Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. But I found a lot of the action, sometimes I had to go, uh, 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 no. Like, this is one scene where she kicks a guy to the leg and it's so slow and awkward. Like, ah, uh, you know what I mean? No, don't get me wrong. The action in Kate is good. It is. But to me, I thought the action in both like Nobody, Shang-Chi, I thought they were just not just a little bit better. I thought they were completely a different level better, much closer to the raid than, say, Kate was. But I did enjoy the movie. And, and again, the action is not bad. I just wouldn't compare it to the action of those two things myself personally. All right. Uh, next up. 
Uh, we've got Jojo Giraffe writes, have you seen Conan O'Brien's antics at the Emmys? I saw some of the clips on YouTube for it. Yes. Heckling from the crown, then crashing Stephen Colbert's acceptance. If so, what are your thoughts? Not trying to focus on gossip or drama, but I'm hearing this might be a result of his poor treatment from TV execs. No, Stephen Colbert already publicly came out and acknowledged that it was all arranged. It was all set up. It was all arranged. It was all planned. So no, I mean that's uh, you can let that part go. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, again, you can go and look up Stephen Colbert's comments. He already acknowledged that it was all planned. That stuff. So don't worry about it. All right. Next up, McJesus writes. Uh, so when Wu heard the voice from his wife, which caused him to go on a homicidal mission to free the Dark Dweller, Wanda hears the voices of her children calling in a similar way. Shang Chi was also originally supposed to come out prior to WandaVision. Huh. Huh. You know, that's. Oh, shit. That's a really good observation, McJesus. And now I'm not saying that they're connected. I'm not saying that they're connected. But when you think about it, and I guess I should acknowledge what you were just asking, McJesus, is a little bit of a spoiler for Shang-Chi, a little bit, but whatever, it's out there now. So. Uh, we won't talk about the other spoilers in the movie, but that's a little bit, but you're right. I didn't even think about that. When you look back now to WandaVision and she's sitting there studying the dark hold and all of a sudden she hears the voices of her pretend children. That is eerily similar to the situation in Shang-Chi. And I hadn't even thought about that. Damn. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's connected. It doesn't necessarily mean the Dweller in Darkness or that kind of stuff had anything to do with her hearing it. But you're not wrong in pointing out that is eerily similar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to think on that. I'm going to have to think on that. That is really, really interesting. Well said, McJesus. All right, let's move on here. Anthony M.R. writes, you may not like the prequels, but you cannot deny the hilarious memes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, all the hello there, do it, <laughs> are funny. The Sith Lords are our speciality. Uh, had me dying with a picture of Obi-Wan cooking Anakin. Oh, no, listen. I may not like the prequels, but damn, you cannot deny the glory of a lot of the memes that have come out of the prequels. I hate sand. No, there's some really good stuff in there, Anthony. You're absolutely right. All right, Chris D writes, John. Could you please explain what camp means in the movie world? It means something different to everybody. I personally didn't like Malignant, but I heard Stuckman referring to the movie as camp, which apparently WB didn't know how to market and contributed to its failure. Um, I mean, campy, it, everybody, it means a little bit something different to everybody. Basically, when you hear camp, they're basically saying it's campy. It's kind of silly. I, I guess that's the best way of saying it is that it's kind of silly. It's a little cheesy. It's a little silly. It's campy. It's like, oh, that scene was so camp. But I, it can mean something to uh, to different people all the time, right? It's a little silly. It's a little nonsensical. It's a little campy. And, and campy can be good. Like sometimes a little silly, a little nonsensical, not, not taking yourself too seriously. That That all can be good if used the right way. In a movie like Malignant, maybe not. Like, I'm not a big fan of the movie Malignant. I didn't hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, but uh, I wasn't a big fan of Malignant either. So, but again, I, I, you ask five different people to define camp, you're probably going to get five slightly different 
interpretations, but that's kind of what I think about when I hear somebody use the phrase camp. All right, thanks for asking, Chris. Next up, Ryan Lohner writes, Howard Shore and Bear McCreary are working together on the Lord of the Rings show. What God did I please and how can I do it more? Yeah, listen, we were talking about this. I think it might have been on yesterday's show that Howard Shore is apparently in talks, the guy who composed all the music for the Lord of the Rings films and that music for the Lord of the Rings franchise is such a part of those movies. Like you hear the music from Lord of the Rings and your mind and imagination are instantly teleported to Middle Earth and you're reliving those scenes in your mind. It's amazing. And the news coming out that Howard Shore is in talks now, which means it's probably going to happen, to do all the music composition for the Amazon Lord of the Rings series, to me, that's just going to make it feel like coming home. That's going to make it feel just like coming home, and I'm really, really excited about that. All right, next up. Chris D writes, I'm not sure if you saw the Emmys last night. Again, I didn't watch them, but I, I know about them. But the crown owned the night. They certainly did. They swept like almost everything. It felt like every member from the cast won an award. If you're not watching this show, I'd like to recommend it to you. Yeah, the crown was fantastic. And it won like best direction, best writing, best lead actress, best lead actor, best supporting actress. Uh, I either support. No, it won best supporting actor. I'm not sure if it won best supporting actress or not. Uh, at any rate. Yeah, it really did sweep up a lot. It really was the crown and Ted Lasso's night. It really was. All right, next up, Jonathan writes, damn it, I want to see that Finch movie with Tom Hanks, but I don't have Apple TV Plus and I don't want to pay for another streaming service. Trailer looks so interesting. Damn it, any advice? Can I rent it on Amazon at least? I don't think so. Now, the whole reason Amazon or uh, Apple TV Plus makes these movies is so you will sign up for Apple TV Plus. I will say this though, Apple TV Plus is turning into to, I'm not going to say it is yet, but it's becoming a must have streaming service with, you know, shows like the morning show with shows like, um, for all mankind. Um, they have been doing some really, really interesting things on Apple TV plus. Now, look, I'm not terribly excited about Finch. Not going to lie. I thought the trailer was pretty good, but there are two other Tom Hanks, Apple TV plus original films or streaming original films that have come out in the last year and a half or so that have looked interesting that I was really disappointed in. Uh, I think the one was called Greyhound, that World War naval movie. I thought that was a big disappointment. I did not like that movie at all. I, I didn't hate it, but I did not like it at all. And then that of that Western he did, News of the World, which also looked really interesting, but uh, I got to say, I, I wasn't, I didn't really like the, it all that much. I thought it wasn't a very good movie. Really neat idea, beautiful performances in it, but overall, I, I just didn't like it so much. So I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little hesitant about, um, about Finch, even though the trailer looks not bad, but we'll see. But listen, honestly, Apple TV Plus, they're doing some good things over there. And I would keep my, I would consider, plus it's one of the less expensive streaming services you can get. So I would consider it, Jonathan. All right, anyway, next up. Anonymous viewer writes, buy one, rent one, lose one, Snake Eyes, F9, Tom and Jerry, easy, sell them all. It's just no questions. I'm not buying any of those. I ain't renting any of those. Sell them all. Just sell them all. Leo Milmit writes, Tell Rob that one of my favorite people in Prom Springs saw Tango Shalom at my request and liked it. Can't wait till it comes to theaters nationwide or streaming. It's going to be coming out on home video here pretty soon. And I will absolutely, absolutely pass on that you had somebody that watched it and liked it. And uh, make sure you tell them 
to write something about it online and spread the word about Tango Shalom. Thanks for that, Leo. All right, Alan writes, Hey, John, I just got my tickets to see Venom, to see Venom 2, three times opening weekend. Nice. And my ticket to see No Time to Die, I am so excited. Yeah, I I have, me and Anne have our tickets for Venom opening night. However, I could only get one set of tickets because after Thursday's showing of Venom, I am then going out to Las Vegas for three and a half days um, to go. And uh, some of you guys know, some of you don't, that I participate. I go and participate in the World Series of Poker every year. I didn't last year, obviously, because of COVID. But uh, I'm getting back into going to the World Series of Poker, which is starting up on the week of October 1st. And so I'm going to be going to uh, watch Venom on Thursday night. And then Friday morning, as soon as I'm done the John Campia show, I'm going to be uh, jumping into the car and driving off to uh, to Vegas with uh, my buddy Soul and uh, going to go uh, see how I do at the World Series of Poker this year. Uh, but there will still be a Venom open spoiler discussion that weekend. I'm just going to have to do it from my hotel room in Vegas. So there's that. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Alan writes. Hey, John, I love seeing Tamora return as Boba Fett. It was good seeing him back in there in Mandalorian season two and was wondering, when do you think we could see some footage slash a trailer? It's getting close to release. I would I would not hold my breath. I would not hold my breath. I mean, yeah, they did just put out a uh, a trailer for Hawkeye, but TV stuff is handled different than movies are. So like if if the book of Boba Fett was a movie, I would expect a trailer to be dropping right about now. But as a TV show, they don't generally market nearly as far out as they do for movies. But again, like there are exceptions to that. Hawkeye put one out. Hawkeye put them out. So yeah, there's that. So uh, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if one came out in the next couple of weeks, but I also wouldn't hold my breath and I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't worry about. They always market stuff for TV a little bit later than movies, but who knows? Could come out anytime. But I am also very much looking forward to it. Okay, next up, Casey McNatt writes, you know, even though he didn't win it for WandaVision, I thought it was great to see Evan Peters win an Emmy. He won an Emmy for Best Supporting Actor for um, for Mare of Easttown, for uh, Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series for Mare of Easttown. Uh, I thought everything I've seen him in, he was a promising young actor. He's not all that young. By the way, okay, Google, how old is Evan Peters? I want to just find out here. Yeah, Evan Peters ain't that young. He's 34 years old. Um, yes, it was helpful. Okay, so yeah, Evan Peters ain't ain't that old. 34 years old. 34 years old. I, I know it's, it feels like just yesterday we saw him as a high school student in Kick-Ass, right? But the dude's 34 years old. But no, you know what? It was great seeing him win that. He was fantastic. The acting, look, guys, if you've not seen the mayor, uh, mayor of Easttown, you've got to. It's fucking fantastic. And like, will you get to the end of episode one and that's it. You're, you're hooked. You're hooked. And Ann and I just ravagingly ate up that series. It's fantastic. If you haven't watched it yet, um, Yes, you do have to say. Uh, David Lozell is saying that's not him in Kick-Ass. Oh, it absolutely is him in Kick-Ass. It is 100% him in Kick-Ass. He's not playing the lead character of Kick-Ass. He plays one of his best friends in Kick-Ass. So, yeah, but yes, that is him in Kick-Ass. Make no doubt, make no mistake about it. Um, Okay, next up. 
Uh, we go to McNeil, who writes, Hey, John, I remember a while back you mentioned that you were excited to see the Clint Eastwood's new movie, Cry Macho. I am excited to see it. I'm wondering if you've watched it yet. I have not. If so, uh, what did you think of it, and how do you think it compares to the rest of his filmography? Thanks. Yeah, so... I want to see Cry Macho a lot, but I do not want to watch it on HBO Max. I do not want to watch it on TV. I want to go see it in a theater. I want to go see it the way Clint Eastwood meant for it to be watched. But this opening weekend for it, I didn't have the opportunity to. I didn't have the time. I I got a chance to get out to go see Cop Shop, and I had a chance to go watch Shang-Chi again, but I didn't have a chance to see because of a lot of other things going on with the weekend. I didn't have a chance to see Cry Macho. And I guess I could have sat, I could sit down and watch an HBO Max. I don't want to watch it on HBO Max. I'm not going to lie. I just don't want to. I'm not hearing great things about it either, but still, it's a Clint Eastwood movie. I'm going to give it my time. So uh, hopefully in the next couple of days, I'm going to get a chance to run out to the two, uh, probably the AMC in Riverside and go check out Cry Macho, but I haven't seen it yet. All right, next up. Uh, Donda writes, uh, who's having the worst 2021 so far? Warner Brothers with their HBO Max debacle, Paramount with their changing of leadership and questionable future as a studio, or the sad, pathetic, and soaring New York Jets and their fans who are stuck in, in rebuild hell right now with no end in sight. Uh, yeah, two different things. And by the way, I mean, listen, as a guy... As a New England Patriot fan, I have been spoiled for a lot of years. Now, granted, when I first became a New England Patriot fan, they weren't that great. You know, Bill Parcells went over to to coach New England Patriots. Uh, Drew Bledsoe was going to be their quarterback. They were a good team, but they weren't a great team. And then, you know, eventually this this last picked guy in the draft who was picked at number 199 with seven other quarterbacks drafted in front of him. He was the last guy picked this kid out of Michigan named Tom Brady gets picked. And then all of a sudden I got to say as a new England Patriot fan, I got to watch a lot of years of winning. A lot of winning. Now, of course, that's just the universe's way of balancing out the fact that I am a diehard bleed blue and white Toronto Maple Leafs fan, and they have sucked literally my entire lifetime. My entire lifetime. They've been terrible. So that balances that out. And so I can just say, man, I feel for you with the Jets, dude. I feel for you with the Jets. To me, it's HBO Max. Paramount is trying to position itself right now. So I wouldn't say this was a horrible year for them. They're they're in a position right now where they're trying to position themselves for the future. We'll see how well they work out. It could be a good 2022 for them. It could be a horrible 2022 for them. But right now, it's just it's been a bad 2021 for H for uh, for Warner Brothers. Bad year for HBO uh, for Warner Brothers. All right. Uh, next stop. We've got uh, JR69 who writes, really love the tech show, John. Thank you so much. Uh, By the way, uh, on your show graphic before the show starts, the time is always five. Not where I'm at. It's not. I'm on the East Coast, so it should be 1 p.m. or even 10 a.m. your time. Just curious. It always, when I load it up, it always says the exact time the show starts. It's starting up at 10 a.m. So maybe... Your computer that you're on thinks it's in a different time zone. I mean, I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah, that where I'm at, it always shows the right time. I don't know what to tell you, Jr. It's maybe it's one of those little funky YouTube glitches. But thanks for letting me know about it, Jr. And thanks for watching, man. All right, next up, Rhett Proctor writes. Hey, John and Rob, as much as I love Batman solo movies, do you guys think it's time to start showing the Bat Family? No, uh, some love. 
showing the Bat family some love. We're getting Batgirl, but I'd like to see the other heroes like Red Hood. He's basically the darkest part of Batman. Eh, eh, I, I don't, I don't really care. I honestly really don't care. Uh, I am far more interested in just Batman. Maybe a little bit of Nightwing. Maybe a little bit of Nightwing. And I'm curious to see what they're going to do with this Batgirl show on HBO. I am curious to see what they're going to do with that. Um, and if they did decide to delve more into the Bat family, I don't maybe Asriel. Maybe they bring in Asriel at some point. Or some of the other people. Again, I'm kind of open to Nightwing as well, but... Honestly, I'm perfectly cool if they never do. I'm perfectly cool if they just stick with Batman. But if they do, I check it out and be interested. We'll see. Uh, by the way, uh, the Jughead One sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Jughead One. I appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, next up, we've got My Shiro writes one of three. A story from the Emmys that some may have missed was Michaela Cole becoming the first black woman to win an Emmy for limited series writing. I May Destroy You is a raw, brutal, painfully truthful watch, and I'm surprised it didn't get another award. Well, I mean, look at what it was against this year, though. I mean, it was a stacked year. It honestly was a very stacked year at the Emmys this year. Very stacked. Um, from the many it was nominated for, so beautifully directed too. I think a lot of people haven't watched it yet, so I highly recommend it, but I also think it's why not as many people were necessarily rooting for it. With all that being said, as a black female British aspiring writer myself, Michaela's win filled me with so much motivation. She has a huge future ahead of her. She absolutely does. And you know, we were just talking, I feel like it was about a month or two ago, that we were just talking about how she just landed another significant thing. And I cannot remember now off the top. I remember me and Aaron Cummings were talking about that because she just landed another significant thing and I cannot remember what it is. Uh, but you're right. She's got a definite future. Everybody was buzzing about her. She's got a big future ahead of her. But if you want to talk about, about kind of a disappointing outing at the Emmys, you got to talk about um, one of the best shows on TV, Handmaid's Tale. Because Handmaid's Tale had a great year. It got 21 Emmy nominations. 21 Emmy nominations. And it went over. So, yeah, maybe I made a story that didn't win more awards than it could have. Handmaid's Tale went over 21. Now, of course, look, you got to look at that on the positive side. Holy crap, that show got nominated for 21 Emmys. That's, I don't care how you try to paint that. That's a hugely successful year. You got 21 Emmy nominations. That is a hugely successful career. But you'd think with 21 Emmy nominations, you might be able to eke out one or two. And they weren't able to, but that's fine. That's fine. But that show is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, I Anne got Anne watched it first. She watched like the first episode or two. I can't remember. And then she was like, and she did this with Marvelous Mrs. Maisel too, which I also love. But like Anne watched it first and then came to me and said, okay, this is a show you got to watch with me. We're going to start from episode one again. I'm like, all right. And I'm like, poof, holy shit. This is, it's a strong show, man. It's really, really good. You should definitely check out Handmaid's Tale. It's fantastic. All right. Uh, thanks for writing that in, my Shiro. And good on you for being an aspiring writer, and I hope you keep pursuing it, my friend. All right, next up. Uh, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes, 
Hey, Rob and John, and obviously Rob's not here. I know everyone is up in arms about the older look of Ben Platt right now. Well, people aren't really up in arms about it. Just it's it's just noticeable. I don't see a lot of people extremely angry about it. You know what I mean? Anyway, it's up in arms about the older look of Ben Platt right now, but everyone can rest easy. Ben Platt only looks older because confirmed he is Mephisto. <laughs> Hashtag problem solved. Uh, you never... Never go wrong when you pull out an old Mephisto joke. All right, MD writes, I just wanted to say that for the past 11 months, I've been working out while watching your show and I've lost 110 freaking pounds from an obese 300 pounds to now uh, 190 pounds. It's possible, people. Dude, MD, that is not easy. That is not easy. I mean, I lost about 40. Uh, After... After my my heart attacks and stuff like that, I ballooned up to like 250 at one point. I think I got to my absolute max at about 250 pounds. And I've dropped about 40 of those pounds. But And I thought that was like one of the most difficult things ever. Um, and that was tough. 110 pounds. That is insane. Well done, MD. Well, well done. Uh, congrats, because that's not an easy thing to do. That takes a lot of discipline, man. So well done. All right, next up, Dangerous D writes, uh, Hey, John, there's a rumor that Green Arrow might be appearing in the upcoming HBO Max series Peacekeeper. Well, that's interesting. Uh, it would be great to see the two characters on, uh, on the DCU and pair someday with, uh, you probably meant Journey Smollett's Black Canary. Did you hear the same rumor? What do you think? Nah, I didn't hear the same rumor. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not against it. I don't particular, like, I didn't come out, personally, I didn't come out of watching Suicide Squad going, man, I really would love to see Green Arrow paired with Peacemaker. Uh, so, well, I don't know. If they decide to do it, let's see how it turns out. Uh, probably just a rumor. I haven't heard it yet myself, but maybe they will. Maybe they won't. If they do, I'll give it a shot, but I don't particularly find myself going, ooh, I want to really see Green Arrow with him. Not really, but it could be fun. Could be fun. Let's see what happens. It's probably a fake rumor, but who knows? Maybe it'll turn out. All right. Thanks for that, Dangerous D. Next up, Kara Black uh, writes, John, will you be attending the Buccaneers versus the Rams game in Los Angeles this Sunday? Yes, I will. Uh, Have you ever been to one of Tom Brady's games before? I have not. I've never been able to see Tom Brady play in person. I was able to finally see him in person during the first Bucks versus Packers game last season in Tampa. I have not, but yeah, Ann and I, we both really, we have not been to the new stadium that just opened in Los Angeles. It just looks gorgeous. We can't wait to go. Um, I haven't bought my tickets yet, though, because we're going to wait till like the morning of the game to buy the tickets for the prices to come down. Because right now we were looking at it and I found these tickets that I wanted. I'm like, ooh, good. Tickets for the, I get to go see Tom Brady play and play against the Rams. I really like the Rams, too. And I'm like, oh, cool, two tickets. Like, there weren't, like, the best seats in the house, but they were good seats. I'm like, oh, great, there's two tickets here. I'm going to buy them. How much? They were $2,400 each. Let me ref- let me say that again. They were $2,400 each. Now, when you buy the tickets secondhand off something like Vivid Seats, I use Vivid Seats. I, I've always had really good luck with Vivid Seats. Uh, what I usually do is, like for the Black Panther concert, the tickets, if you saw the video Ann and I put up of our uh, of our trip to go to see the Black Panther concert, 
you'll know that we had those that box with table and chairs and uh, and food brought to us. We were right near the front of the stage. Those tickets were going for like four hundred and something dollars a, a, a ticket. We bought the tickets the morning of the show. And when people are reselling their tickets and they haven't sold them yet, they start to, they drop their prices. Ann and I got those tickets for about 150 bucks each, which is still expensive, but it's a lot better than like 400 bucks each. So I'm going to do the same thing with the game on Sunday. We're going to wake up early in the morning on Sunday. We're going to go to Vivid Seats and we'll, you know, hopefully find some good tickets for maybe, I'm not going to spend 700 bucks for a ticket for a football game. I'm just not. I know a lot of people do great, but I'm just not, but hopefully we'll be able to find some good. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to find some good tickets at a decent price because we both really want that. And we want to go to a game at, we want to go to a Vegas Raiders game to go to see that new death star uh, stadium. They just built there. Like these are probably the two most gorgeous stadiums in the league now in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. We desperately want to see both of them anyway. All right. But yes, I am one way or another. I'm going to go to this game on Sunday. All right. I got to go see Tom Brady play in person at least once before he retires. All right. Joey writes, Hey John, I asked my friend if she wanted to see Venom two, and she was hesitant because she hasn't seen the first one and we are both busy college students. Do you think she needs to see the first Venom before she sees the sequel? It's impossible to say since I haven't seen the sequel yet, but my guess would be you'd probably be, You'd probably be better off if you watch the first one first. The good news is you got like over a week. You've got over a week to find, you know, an hour and 45 minutes to sit down and pop on Venom. Um, and again, I can't say you have to see the first Venom in order to see Venom 2 because I haven't seen Venom 2. I just don't know. But my guess would be you would be very, very much better served if you do watch the first Venom first. So in the next eight or nine days, try to find an hour and a half or hour, 45 minutes. You can just sit down and pop it on. I understand being busy college students. I was there myself, but I would try to do that if you can. And by the way, our friend uh, Rampage Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that very much, Rampage. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, we've got Bernie Palafox who writes, good afternoon, my favorite dudes and dudettes. Longtime fan. Keep it sweaty. Thank you so much, Bernie. Uh, my question is simple. Did you see the final Halloween Kills trailer? I did. Oh, my fucking God. What did you think? I'm expecting sweaty, a sweaty response and let's go Team Myers. Yeah, they actually showed us that trailer weeks ago at, uh, at CinemaCon in Las Vegas. So uh, Aaron Cummings and I went down to Las Vegas for CinemaCon. They showed us an awful lot of stuff, including a bunch of footage and that new trailer for Halloween kills before they put it online here. And yes, the trailer's fantastic. Trailer is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Zivia Cola, sponsor me, you insufferably cheap sons of bitches. Um, anyway, the trailer's fantastic. I love the 2018 Halloween. Loved it. And I'm. it's the first Halloween film I ever liked. And this one looks even better. Cannot wait to see it. This new trailer was fantastic. Uh, again, I thought so weeks ago. And they showed us some stuff you guys still haven't seen yet. I think this movie is going to be balls-to-the-wall fun. Um, here's hoping it does okay. And by the way, uh, B. Gill Studio sends in a Super Chat badge in live chat. Thank you, B. Gill. Appreciate that, dude. All right. Next up, 
We've got Jay Thomas who writes, Hey, John, it was a while back. Uh, I told you about my music album, my uncle's movie. Well, the movie was nominated for an Emmy. The movie is This Ain't Normal. Uh, I helped with the music and we are super happy with this. Now I'm, a, I'm in film school as well. And I just wanted to update. That's awesome. Hold on a second. What's it called? This uh, Ain't Normal. Let's see this. Now, I don't know if this is the right one. I'm, I'm finding something on IMDb called This Ain't Normal, but it's listed as a 2018. Oh, but the documentary, it's a documentary that came out on in June of 2020, a profile of the stories of gang-involved youth and young adults in the high-impact crime neighborhoods of inner-city Boston, the street workers and social workers tasked with helping transform their lives and the organizations attempting to help them. If that's the way you're talking, that looks really interesting. That is so awesome. It got an award nomination for best feature length film um, at, at something. It doesn't list the Emmys yet. It doesn't list the Emmys yet. But if you did, if that got nominated for an Emmy, dude, that's incredibly awesome. Congratulations on that, man. All right. And best of luck in film school. All right. Dangerous D writes. Hey, John, I hope you have Rob with you. He's not here on right now, unfortunately. I wrote you before asking about the Lensman, the book series that inspired the Green Lantern Corps. It was supposed to be made into a film years ago. Since there's no report of any updates, has this been forgotten? Thanks. Listen, sometimes no news doesn't mean anything. Oftentimes, no news means nothing. Sometimes it does mean something. Now, I remember there was a uh, a Green Arrow. They were going to do a Green Arrow Supermax thing, and, and maybe that is or isn't happening. As far as I know, and it's only as far as I know, all Green Lantern, they're still working on this Green Lantern Corps HBO series, but I don't think there's a movie project being working on being worked on right now. So it may have been ditched. I don't know that for sure. Don't take that to the bank. I'm just saying right now, my guess would be is that project was ditched and they're just focusing on the HBO series. Or maybe, you know, they're rolling elements of what that movie was going to be into the HBO series. I mean, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But as far as I know, I think it might be ditched. But don't take that to the bank. I might be wrong about that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Tribal Chief writes, nobody said it yet, so I'm going to say it. If there's no... Eminem song about carnage to promote Venom 2, that will be a missed opportunity from a marketing perspective. Uh, I mean, hey, listen, the music from the first one certainly did help. I don't know that it would actually be considered a missed opportunity. I don't know that it would make or break, make a make or break difference. I don't think it would, but uh, I'd like to hear it. I would. I'd be with you, Tribal Chief. All right, next up, just your average Jose writes, hey, Campion crew, Warner Brothers produces Ted Lasso. Uh, Warner Brothers Television does produce the show Ted Lasso with another production company, just to be clear about that. Is there a reason why it's not on HBO Max? Yeah, Apple TV was the ones that ordered it. Uh, Do they have rights of first refusal on something they produce? If yes, is not having Ted Lasso streaming on HBO Max a miss or another example of how bad Warner Brothers has been? No, listen, there are lots of shows. There are a lot of shows that get made by one studio's television department that then are actually distributed and aired on other networks. Like if I'm not mistaken and people in the live chat, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, even like Lucifer, I believe Lucifer is a a Warner brothers television production, but it was on Fox 
And now it's on Netflix, <coughs> right? So here's what happens. Um, a place can put in an order for a show. Like a certain studio can have the production rights to a show, but they may do it with production partners and then they got to sell that show to the highest bidder. If you don't, the producers can sue you. But this is not a unique circumstance. Lots of shows get produced by one network's television studio and then are aired on another network uh, because their job, it's, it's, it's understanding the difference between production and distribution. Now, more times than not, something produced with one company will also be distributed with the same company. Absolutely. But there are many, 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 um, uh, many examples of TV shows that you watch on one network that if you watch the credits, you'll realize is actually produced by another television studio because it's just kind of that way. So no, it's not, not a big story there. Not a big story. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got, uh, that was just your average Jose. Next up, we're at Ron from, or no, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, well, John, the last season of Lucifer was the perfect gift that we did not deserve. You might say it was an expression of grace. Not finished it yet. Ann and I are think are eight episodes in now. We're going to finish off the last couple of episodes here. I've enjoyed it. Not my favorite season of Lucifer so far, but I have quite enjoyed it a lot. I think the addition of uh, uh, Rory has been really great. I won't, for those of you who haven't seen it, I won't go into details on Rory, but uh, I've really enjoyed it a lot. It's been a really good final season. Again, not my favorite, but really good nonetheless. I'm looking forward to watching the last couple of ones. All right, next up, Ron from Discord writes, Hey, John, I disagree with your comments on Denis Villeneuve. As an auteur, he has the right to his opinion, a.k.a. freedom of speech. Okay, I hear this bullshit all the time. Does Denis Villeneuve has a right to say what he said? Absolutely, he has a right to say what he said. Sure. I'm, no, one, no one has argued that Denis Villeneuve did not have the right to say what he said. Nobody's arguing that. Of course, he had a right to say it. Uh, freedom of speech. Okay, yeah. Denis Villeneuve has the right to say what he wants to say. But here's... The thing, Ron, from Discord, I can say your mother's a whore. I have the right to say that. Freedom of speech. I have the right to say Ron from Discord's mother is an absolute loose, skanky whore. Now, obviously, I don't know Ron's mother. I'm sure she's a completely fantastic, wonderful woman. We're just giving you an example here, right? But freedom of speech, I have the right to say that. But you see, there's a difference between can you do something and should you do something? There's a difference. And it takes some wisdom to understand the difference between there's something I can do, but then there's the question of, is it something I should do? There's also a question of, is it appropriate for me to say, Ron from Discord's mother is a whore. And again, I'm sure she's an absolutely delightful, fantastic woman. I'm just using hyperbole here as an example. Do I have the right to say it? I absolutely do. Is it appropriate for me to say it? No, it's not. It's not appropriate for me to say that. And then there's a question of class. Is it classy for me to say that? Absolutely not. Do I have a right to say it? Yes. 
Freedom of speech, yes. But is it smart for me to say that? Is it appropriate for me to say that? Is it classless of me to say that? That's a different story. It's not about the the can I, it's about the should I. Does Denis Villeneuve have the right to come out and trash on the work of other filmmakers? Sure, he has a right to do it. He absolutely has a right to do it. Is it classy for him to do that? No, it's Bush League. It's not appropriate. It's classless and it's Bush League, especially from a guy as classy as Denis Villeneuve is. He's a totally classy dude. So this isn't about... um, This isn't about whether or not Denis Villeneuve had the right to say it. Of course he had the right to say it. Nobody's questioning that. But I have the right to say your mother's a whore. And then guess what? Freedom of speech means that other people are free to hold me accountable for what I said. Freedom of speech doesn't mean you're free from any accountability. That's not what freedom of speech is. Freedom of speech means you can say it, and freedom of speech also means other people can then hold you accountable. So can and should are two different questions, my brother. And again, my apologies. Again, I'm sure 100% totally positive your mother is a wonderful saint of a woman. I was just using that as an example. All right, let's move on here. Next up, Senpaigar writes, I want to know if you've seen the anime film A Silent Voice. I have not. Um, I just recently discovered it and it has quickly become one of my favorite movies. I've seen it four times in the last few weeks. Beautiful film with a great message and amazing score. I'll look this up. I've never even heard of it. And it's called a silent, what's it called? A silent voice. I'm going to see if I can pull this up here. A silent voice is a 2016 movie. Um, a young man is ostracized by his classmate after he bullies a deaf girl to the point of where she moves away. Years later, he sets off on a path of redemption. That actually sounds really good. That actually sounds really good. Oh, yeah, I've never even heard of it. I might have to check it out sometime, man. Thanks for putting that on my radar. All right, Donda writes, Right now, early tracking for Venom 2 opening is 40 to 65 million. That would be impressive if it hits that number. Over under 40%, it could overperform and beat Shang-Chi's opening, which is 75 million. I'll take the over because, in my opinion, it has more things going for it than Shang-Chi, especially if the reviews are good. Well, yeah, but you got to remember, Shang-Chi's reviews are exceptional. I do not see it beating Shang-Chi. I hope it does. I hope it does for many reasons. I hope it does. Um, I'm a big fan of Venom. I hope it's really good. I would love to see it. I don't see it beating 75 million though. I I just don't see it. Now, then again, I didn't really think Shang-Chi would beat Fast 9 70 million, but it did. So I'll keep my fingers crossed that I'm wrong on this, but no, I'm going to take the under 40% that it exceeds and beats Shang-Chi. But it would be great if it did, because that would mean a lot of good things for the industry. But I I don't know if it will. I don't know if it will. Fingers crossed, Odonda. Okay, next up. Jack Lumbers writes, have you seen Vice's Dark Side of the Ring? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't watched the whole thing. If so, which story do you find most interesting? And which story do you find most disgusting? I haven't seen all. Interesting, Owen Hart, disgusting, plane ride from hell. Again, I haven't watched the whole thing, so I can't really say much about it, but... Amongst hardcore wrestling fans, I know Vice's Dark Side of the Ring is is talked about a lot, but 
I haven't watched the whole thing, so I can't comment on it. But one of these days, I do need to watch it. I've always wanted to sit down and watch it, and one of these days, I will. Um, okay, next up. Steve Pintor writes, and tips in like $20. Thank you, Steve, for supporting our channel on that level, man. I appreciate that. Um, hey, John, I love the picture of you and Brandon Routh, uh, but with that caption uh, that you put, I can't unsee it anymore. I literally spilled my coffee everywhere after I read it. Thank you for everything you do. Bring on the filthy. John loves the filthy. So for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, let me see if I can bring it up here. The other day I came across this. You guys have probably seen this picture before. But the other day I came across this picture of me and Brandon Routh at uh, one of my parties at uh, the Brandon Routh and uh, Edgar Wright and a bunch of guys were at this party I, I, I would do every year at CinemaCon. I did it with AMC. And I got a chance to hang with Brandon Routh. You guys know I love Brandon Routh. I think he is a boss. I think he's a terrific performer. I think he's super charming. I love Brandon Routh. But I used to love this picture of him and I. I used to love this picture of him and I. Until one day, somebody said to me that this picture looks like I'm trying to teach Brandon Routh how to give a blowjob. And ever since somebody said that, I have not been able to unsee it. That's all I see now. Whenever I see this picture, it looks like I'm trying to teach him how to give a blowjob. Um, it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I can't unsee it now. So that that picture is now forever ruined for me. It is now forever ruined for me, but uh, it is what it is. Okay, let's get back to it then, shall we? Thanks for that, Steve. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, okay, let's see. Next up. Uh, where are we at? Uh, Bo Sunner, Sumner writes, I should say. And Bo also tips in like $20 in there. Thank you so much, Bo. Appreciate that. Hey, John, I would love to hear your full thoughts on the first season of Superman and Lois. I personally loved it. I thought it had real heart. I thought it played like a movie. I can't because I didn't watch the full season. I ditched on it after, what was it, episode 10? It was either episode 10 or episode 11. I just stopped enjoying it. Uh, I really liked it up to that point, but then some stuff happened to the show and I didn't enjoy the show anymore and I'm not going to watch the show if I'm not enjoying it. But I did like it up to a point and I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I can't give my full thoughts on the full season because I didn't watch the full season, unfortunately. All right, next up. Uh, Great Latino writes in, uh, John, have you read from Deadline that the International Association of Theater, what's it again? The, the International... Association of Theater Stage Employees or something like that. I can't remember what IATSE stands for. Uh, is seeking to strike. If you think stuff is getting pushed now, wait to see what happens with the strike. Hollywood will come to a grinding halt. Union strong. Yeah, I don't think they will, though. I don't think they they will strike. Um, so for those of you who don't know, these people like represent cinematographers and you know, uh, set designers and costume makers and grips and all, a lot of people belong to the, uh, IATSC, uh, the unions there. Now they have been negotiating with the Hollywood producers association for a while now to try to improve work conditions, salaries, things like that. And I guess they've hit a little bit of an impasse now. Uh, oh, thank you. Fletcher Independence is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. That's what IATSE stands for. Thank you for that. Um, what has now happened is that the union head is asking now the membership for permission to call a strike. 
That doesn't mean they're going to call a strike. All right. They may. But all that he has done is he has asked the union, because now the union's got a vote, on whether or not to give him approval, him and his executive committee, the approval to call a strike if he wants to or if he feels he needs to. Again, it doesn't mean they will strike. They're not voting to strike right now. They're voting on giving him authorization to call a strike if that's what he chooses to do. Now, this could very well be a leverage play, just showing the producers that they're serious. It could mean they are getting ready to strike imminently. But yes, if they strike, yeah, production is going to be ground to a halt. Production is going to be ground to a halt. Um, Now, you can't just give away the farm. You can't just give away things to whatever people ask, but you got to play serious. And they are clearly very serious right now. So again, I don't actually think it'll come to a strike. And I do think that the union will authorize him to call a strike if he chooses, but I don't think it'll come to that. I, I think I think this is a posture, just like the producers are going to posture as well. But I think they'll both show that they're both very serious. They'll get to a table. The articles that I'm reading on it, it doesn't actually sound like they're all that far apart. Like if you read the union's, guy it's saying it sounds like they're getting nothing if you read the producers it sounds like they're trying to give them everything and so the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and honestly the way i read it it doesn't sound like they're terribly far apart right now so i don't think it's going to come to it and maybe it will maybe it will but i don't think it's going to come to a strike all right next up uh we've got sam weiser Gamgee writes hey john you probably already got this answer from a man from Atlantis. Oh, but man from Atlantis was a TV series. Yeah. Somebody wrote that in, um, in the late seventies with Patrick Duffy only ran one season, uh, but it was Duffy's stepping stone to a little show called Dallas that made him a TV superstar. Have a great one. Yeah. So somebody wrote in, I think it was on last night's, um, after dark. I think somebody wrote in and said something about man from Atlantis. And I had no idea what man from Atlantis was. So, and then I had a bunch of people write to me afterwards and say, Hey man, what from the last was a show that ran one season, I think probably before I was born. Uh, but, uh, I never heard of it. Obviously I know Patrick Duffy, but I'd never heard of it, but yes, I did get a lot of people write in. So thank you for your consideration on that. Sam Weiser. All right. Next up, Sam Weiser also writes, Hey guys, I saw malignant and cry macho among several things wrong with both. One thing that stood out was crappy supporting acting. The cops and malignant one over the top, the other one half asleep cry macho Dwight Yoakam was awful. The kid man. Oh, well, yeah, again, I haven't seen cry macho yet, but I have to agree with your assessment of the mo I'm it's not even the supporting acting and malignant. I thought all the acting was bad and I really like the lead actress. Uh, I really like her. She was actually in The Mummy with Tom Cruise. And while the movie wasn't great, I thought she was pretty damn good in it. I like her. But yeah, the vibe they were going for, it just made the performances, all of them, lead and supporting, come across as not great. Anyway, that's one of the reasons why I can't really recommend Malignant. I didn't hate the movie. Didn't hate it. But I can't recommend it either. That's that's just me. All right. Uh, Next up, Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, I wrote to you. Guys, listen. Write words. We are we are no longer living in the days where you have flip up number pad phones 
where every number had three different letters and you had to shortcut everything, please write words. Don't make me interpret what it is you're writing, please. Okay, let's get back to it here. Hi, John. I wrote to you before about a show, Man from Atlantis. Uh, I was surprised that you never heard of this show. So you're the one who wrote in about Man from Atlantis. Uh, I was surprised um, you never heard of this show. Well, it only ran for one year, like around when or before I was born. Uh, but no memory realized that he can't breathe underwater. It's about a man found at the ocean with no memory, but realized he can breathe underwater. It's a good show. Has a cult following. Watch it on Amazon. Yeah, I have no desire for that, but I do appreciate that is very courteous of you to write back in to let me know about what the show was that you were talking about. Because a lot of times people won't do that and I'll never know. But uh, now I know. I don't have any plans on watching it, but it is good to know what the answer to that is. So thanks for that, man. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got Bring On the Korean Filthy Who Writes. I'll try a crack at this X-Men theory stuff. What if Magneto was from Wakanda and was kept a secret and was one of the Wakandans who moved the vibranium to the city mines and realized how powerful he was and was banished for it? Ah, no, nah, I don't I don't see them doing that. There's a lot of question marks about how they're going to manage the whole all the X-Men thing and the Magneto thing and how they're going to bring all this in, but I do not think they're going to make him Wakandan. I think anything you do with Magneto has to be anchored in a real-world tragedy, right? It can't be the concentration camps because that's too old now, but it still has to be, I believe, rooted in a real-world tragedy. Uh, whether it was... Um, um, one of the African ones, one of the European ones, uh, you know, the Rwandan genocide is one that comes up a lot. I think it's gotta be something rooted in a real world tragedy, but so I don't think it'll be connected to Wakanda. Not bad thinking though. All right. The super Korean writes, Hey, John and Rob. So there's a bit of news about the Marvel's uh, Sojun Park from Parasite is going to be in the movie. I am buzzing with excitement, not only because I'm half Korean, but it seems like Marvel is going after international actors. Thank goodness. Yeah, listen, I'm really excited for Marvel's. I Look, I don't think Captain Marvel was one of the better MCU movies, but I still thought it was pretty darn solid. I enjoyed Captain Marvel. I'm very excited about the Ms. Marvel TV series. And I'm very curious about the this Marvel's movie they're making with both, you know, the girl from WandaVision, Ms. Marvel, and of course, Captain Marvel. So it's going to be interesting to see and adding more international flavor to it. Always a good thing, Super Korean. So I'm glad they're doing that as well. All right. Last question of the day, guys. Gets sent in to us from BK Dan, who writes, John. Besides being an entertaining movie, I figured out why Shang-Chi has done so well. It's because of people like me and you. I've seen it five times now, and you're on what? Seven? I've seen it seven times now. Uh, LOL. Love this show, by the way. Listen, I'm a guy that I love. I will go, movies I like, I go to see multiple times. Because there's only so, there's only a limited window when you're going to get to see these movies on the big screen. So when there's a movie I really get entertained by and I really enjoy, I will go see it multiple times. You know, I saw Thor, the first Thor in theaters, eight times. I saw Suicide Squad in theaters three times. I saw uh, Free Guy in theaters, I think, four times. When I enjoy a movie, I like enjoying it on the big screen when I can. Because eventually it leaves the big screen and all I'm going to have left is a crappy TV screen to watch it on. And that's fine. But yeah, when I like a movie, I like to go see it multiple times. All right. Um, 
yeah. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Camp Show, listen, there are still a few more questions to come from Queefer Sutherland, uh, JCL Productions, and Joel. Do not worry. We will pick up right where we left off on tomorrow's John Camp Show. We'll pick up right there. We're pretty much almost all the way caught up now. So uh, we will pick right up on the John Campus Show tomorrow, right where we left off there. But in the meantime, guys... Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here and bringing his glory and goodness. Of course, he'll be back on the show tomorrow. I think we're going to have Aaron Cummings on the show tomorrow, too, with me and Rob. So tune in for that. And a very special thank you to all you guys who sent in these comments and questions. Number one, because you give us great, fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the show, thank you guys so very much for that support. Remember to do the four main things, guys. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.